Welcome once again to the Irish NFL show. You're very welcome tonight and a special live show this Tuesday um, featuring, of course, the usual suspects, Colm Pikachu Cronin and Brian Bulbazar O'Leary. Uh, but joining me in the Pokemon tonight is a very special guest, one of the doyens of the NFL. You know him from the GM Shuffle, founder of the Daily Coach and uh, with a new great book out as well, Michael Lombardi. Michael been with us before great to have you back on the show again thank you i appreciate it. it's always good to be back hope all is well yeah I'm, I'm all surviving i think and then just to call out your new book gridiron genius which we'll get to later on i have a chat about that in due yeah. course but thank lots you. of things always happening in the nfl and column even you know it never sleeps the nfl never sleeps and it certainly doesn't today no, the, no, absolutely. Today, the, I suppose that the big news, Michael, and the first thing we have to discuss is uh, the news uh, coming out of, of Tennessee uh, with the, the Titans moving on from uh, John, John Robinson. Um, I mean, it's, uh, I suppose this, it's, it's surprising, perhaps, the timing of it, but we have seen Amy Adams, uh, uh, she fired Mike um, Malarkey after he won a playoff game. Um, and now she's moving on from her GM, who's been quite successful um, in terms of what the team is and obviously sitting atop the division. But um, the the feeling from uh, others is that there have been a lot of mistakes. There's the Bud Dupree contract. There's the A.J. Brown trade. And obviously, A.J. Brown um, puts on quite the performance at the weekend. What is your take on the move that the Titans have made here? Well, I think uh, there's a accumulation of events. I don't think it's one singular event. You know, certainly the first round draft picks have not been great for John Robinson, you know, and some of the decisions he's made over the recent years, whether it's the Julio Jones decision, whether it's the A.J. Brown decision, you know, looking at his team. I think Mike Rabel has done a really good job of being able to cover up the sins of, of their lack of personnel acumen. And then, you know, there was the incident with the plane ride home from Green Bay uh, where, you know, Todd Dowling, the offensive coordinator, was arrested uh, after the game for drunk driving. Somehow, you know, when there's not supposed to be alcohol on the plane, which is essentially the job of the general manager is to make sure that those rules are adhered to. Now, I'm not saying that John didn't. I'm just saying I think there's some things here that kind of link up. It's the timing of this. More than anything, though, I think when you look at some of these draft picks that they've had, whether it's Caleb Farley, whether it's the kid from Georgia that never played, Wilson, he had never even suited up in the league. I mean, it's been kind of hard for them to overcome, and yet Brable's been so good. So uh, I think that uh, those are kind of the reasons. And look, you know, it's not always about the one loss record. It's about the foundation of the team for the general manager. Another uh, breaking news story this evening, Michael, Baker Mayfield has landed on yeah. the waiver war and landed with the Rams. Um, I took in your podcast yesterday and there was a conversation about Tennessee going to San Francisco. It didn't really make much sense. Maybe it was a, an opportunity for him to maybe play back up to Brock Purdy after his strong performance the weekend. The Rams seem like a team in no man's land. They've no first round pick next year and they're going to pay him the 1.4 million salary, but he's a free agent come the end of the season anyway. Are you, are you surprised by this move? It just doesn't seem to make sense. I thought Walford played reasonably well, and they have had a rookie there who played against the Chiefs recently. So I thought they would have given yeah, him a bit of an opportunity. I am a little surprised because, you know, 
what tells you maybe that Stafford, there's always a move that relates to another move, right? That tells you maybe Stafford may not come back and they want to spend four games getting to know Baker. There's actually a report out today that after he got claimed, they said he couldn't possibly play against the Raiders. I don't know how that's even possible. I mean, if you watched him play for Carolina, he didn't play well. I mean, Baker was not a good player this year. He, he didn't make a lot of throws, got balls tipped down. Uh, you know, and maybe Sean McVay feels like, hey, I can rehabilitate him. I can coach him. He fits what I do. John Wolford's not a big guy at all. They ran a lot of boots last week against Seattle, a lot of nakeds. They tried to get him out of the pocket to do the best they can. Baker, inability to throw the ball from the pocket shows up. He gets too many balls batted down. It's been part of his career. Even when he was playing good in Cleveland, I was saying this on the GM shuffle. So I am a little surprised, you know, but the Rams are – you know, as the great Bruce Springsteen once said, there's sometimes I can't tell my courage from my desperation. And I'm not sure this is a courageous move. I think this is more of a desperation move because where are they going with Stafford? They don't have draft picks. Gives them four games to look. Do they want to go down the road with the guy who was a former number one pick? I don't know. Based on what I saw this year, it wasn't very good. It's like the, uh, the, the new version of the $6 million man. It's first-round quarterbacks. We can rebuild you, seems to be the mantra from various coaches around the league. Yeah. Um, to go a little bit from the ridiculous, I mean, trying to rebuild Baker on a third team to the sublime, Michael. Um, the Eagles, I know you're around Philadelphia way. Um, the excitement is palpable now. 11-1, and best record in the NFL, best record, obviously, in the NFC. Um they, we were saying and calling on the show the other night, the three times they've been in their history, 11 and 1, 47, they won the NFL championship, 80 and 2004, they both times went to the Super Bowl. When we look at the NFC, it's very hard to see a real competitor. Obviously, the 49ers now losing Jimmy G, you thought maybe with that defense, they could, you know, cause a shock. But I mean, we're looking at the Cowboys, we're looking at the Vikings, who still seem to have a little bit of a a make-believe record, I'm being polite, considering their two losses in that regard. How do you view the the Eagles' record and their possibility of going all the way to the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, I thought what they did this week was really impressive, right? So they knew Tennessee was hardly going to be run the ball on. As good as they are in the offensive line, they knew trying to battle Tennessee with their run game wouldn't be very smart and maybe get their quarterback hurt. So they took a, they took a, a divergent approach, and they threw it 39 times. I mean, the quarterback didn't really run, and they were successful. And they got the lead, made Tennessee play from behind, which they can't do, and uh, and it was over. And so give them a lot of credit for that. I, I agree. I just don't think – I mean, you know, Minnesota would be the perfect team to represent Ireland because they've had a four-leaf clover up their ass all year. I mean, they have been really lucky. I mean, they have been really lucky. I mean – it, it, and you can't take the wins away from them, right? You can't. You you know you got to say, hey, they've won it. They stopped the Jets on throwing the ball on the last series of the game. You know they were able to make plays when they made them. They didn't let the Jets score touchdowns, but they've been very fortunate. You know, get the holding call that wasn't called on the kickoff return. They don't. You know, Hunter Henry doesn't score a touchdown when he scores a touchdown. You know, they've been very lucky. I don't know if that luck can continue. They go to Detroit this weekend. They're an underdog against Detroit. Think about that now. They're a 10-win team going into Detroit, and they're a dog. And I can promise you, I don't know what it's going to be like at DraftKings over there in Ireland, but I can promise you there's going to be all the money's going to be on Detroit. All the money will be on Detroit. That line will move to two and a half before it kicks off. So, you know, but every time I look at Minnesota, they're not any good. I said this on my podcast. Every team that took off from Minneapolis International Airport after playing the Vikings sat in their seats 
and the meal got put on their tray and they said, you know, we're better than that fucking team. We're better than that team. How did we lose to them? Like, we're better than them. Every team said that. I promise you. Every team other than Dallas who beat them. Michael, maybe one team who didn't have any luck uh, earlier in the, the season was the, the Raiders, who yeah. just co- couldn't seem to get out of their own way at, at times. And then they had they, things were on the up, and then the Colts kind of debacle happens. Derek Carr comes out, has quite an emotional press conference, and all of a sudden they, they've put together a bit of a run. Adams is in form. I mean, he he looks. Uh, you you. It, I think it'll be between him and, and Jefferson for perhaps all pro because Tyreek Hill may have locked out that one spot down. But um, with the the games that remain on the the schedule, uh, are there are the Raiders in contention uh, to do maybe what they did last year and a late playoff push? Well, I mean, you know, it's funny they. Uh... They, they were lucky last year in a lot of games, right? And that luck kind of ran out on them on this year. You know, opening game against the Chargers, they're throwing the ball in the end zone to win it. They can't make a play. You know, at Tennessee, they're throwing the ball into the end zone. They can't get it in the end zone to win the game. Uh, you know, the, the, the Chiefs game, they had a chance to win the game at the end. They can't close that down. I mean, you know, it goes on. The Jacksonville game, they're throwing the ball down. If they have a 17-point lead, they can't get it. So, you know, they've been very resilient, you know, and they fought through it. And I, and I even though they lost to the Colts, I, they were actually made a lot of progress in that game. Defensively is where they've made the most progress. They've protected the football better, and they've actually gotten some turnovers out of their defense. And they've helped themselves with by getting more presence inside. It's helped Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. They still have the Niners on the schedule. The next, the next three games, the next two games, three games actually, will be the most interesting, right? So they – they play the Rams in Los Angeles, which will be a home game for the Raiders. I mean, the Rams have to work on the silent count this week. There's no denying. That place will be filled with silver and black. It always was. When we used to play in, in Los Angeles, it was unbelievable. You know, we're, I mean, excuse me, we used to play in San Diego. It was unbelievable how many Raider fans from Southern California would come out. So they're going to have an advantage there. Then they got New England at home coming off of them playing Monday night against Arizona. Then they got to go back to play Pittsburgh. I mean, there are three winnable games. Now they got to win one first before you win three, but they are. And then they got the 49ers before they end up with the Chiefs to close the season. And that game against the Chiefs might not mean anything. So they, they have a chance, but I think more than anything, they're improving. You know, they've had a lot of misses in the draft picks. I mean, you know, you go through it all. They just haven't hit, you know, and, and that's really struggled. They've kind of got their offensive line playing better. But defensively is really where it took the toll on them. And I think as long as they can continue to get pressure on the quarterback, I think they can be a factor. I don't know if they're a playoff team, but they're they're as good as some of these other teams are that are not any good. You know, I mean, the Giants aren't any good. They got seven wins. You know, it's it's like it's a league full of not any good. Michael, uh, the Bengals are having similarities to last season. They started slowly, some very questionable coaching by Zach Taylor at times in terms of his decision making in games. And yet they've found a way again to beat the Chiefs last weekend in arguably their best performance of the season. On our show today, we were reflecting on week 17 last year when they beat the Chiefs in kind of a similar game. And it kind of played out that way last weekend. Are you, do you see them as, a, I wouldn't say a dark horse, but like this late push, especially with Lamar Jackson being injured now in the division, that they might actually end up winning this division again and being very strong within the playoffs. Like the week before, they had a really strong performance in terms of going into Tennessee yeah. as well and winning that game? Well, you know, look, they, they 
They turned the ball over five times in the opening game against Pittsburgh. They've had seven turnovers since. I mean, they've done a great job protecting the football. And I think Burrow is actually finally healthy and playing well now. And more than anything, his offensive line has really improved. He's no longer getting the shit kicked out of him. He can throw it. And I thought Perrine last week ran the ball with quickness. And with Mixon coming back, it, it can really help them. But their strength has been their defense. Lou Amaromo, their defense coordinator, has done a really good job of adjusting the game and finding ways to make plays in the second half. He did it against Pittsburgh. I mean, that was a close game against Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. And then they built a 14-point lead in the second half and eventually won by seven. So uh, they're a tough out. What I've been impressed with more than anything, and, and you know, Zach Taylor can always throw a wrench in this for me, is their toughness. Their ability to close games out. They closed the Tennessee game out with a six-minute drive at the end of the game. They closed this Kansas City game with converting a third down at the end of the game and not giving Kansas. Kansas City only had the ball for eight possessions. They played it really smart. So, yeah, I like this big old team. I mean, last year, for all the conversation we get into in the NFL about wide receivers and about quarterbacks, at the end of the day, Cincinnati won last year with a really good defense, an offense that didn't turn the ball over, and a hot field goal kicker, right? I mean, that's that was the formula. And so when you ask about the 49ers, can they win with Brock Purdy? Well, they have a really good defense. They can run the football, and, and they have a good field goal kicker. So they're going to be in this thing to the end, even without Jimmy G. And I think so will Cincinnati. Um, Michael, it's a hard in the middle of a season to kind of talk about the offseason, I know, but the intrigue always fascinates us. One of the most intriguing players slash sagas, and it's going to be a saga again this season, is definitely in Green Bay, and I would say specifically at the quarterback position. One of the things I love from your pod is that some of the rants get from Big Daddy and you're explaining of them in relation to it, and so it's always an entertaining segment. Um, I mean, I'm just wondering, as a, you know, as a former GM, being around the league and things like this, I mean, how do you see that unfolding in Green Bay? I mean, it was a saga last season. The contract structured in a way that obviously things could happen potentially this offseason. But, okay, maybe there's LA now. Maybe Tennessee, if they want to upgrade on Ryan Tannehill. The landing spots almost seem harder to pivot. And I think it would be hard to trade them with the contract the way it's set up. Uh, and they guaranteed the money. I, I mean, they've already made the decision to bring him back. I, I, I mean, we create stories. I don't know how this is a story. Now, maybe it'll change, and maybe Rodgers will do something with his contract. But I, I don't. When you sign that contract and you paid him what he deserved for being Super Bowl for being the MVP two years in a row, you you made a commitment to him for three years, and you said, "Hey, he's our guy." I mean, you want you know, Big Daddy keeps wanting to fall in love with Jordan Love. And as soon as Jordan throws, Love throws his first incomplete, my phone will light up with Big Daddy saying that's a blown pick. You know, I mean, he can't wait to send that text. He's already got that one ready to go. I mean, look, I think what we're seeing this year is LaFleur trying to become a head coach, Joe Barry not really doing well. I think it's funny. You know, LaFleur gets a lot of credit for 13 wins, and Rodgers gets a lot of blame for the bad play. It's kind of interesting how it goes because – LaFleur is more likable than Rodgers. People love the hate on Aaron Rodgers when, to me, you know, Aaron Rodgers is carrying a lot of folks up there in Green Bay. Michael, uh, I am a, a Broncos fan uh, for, my, for my sins. So uh, this is this is potentially a three-parter. One, is the Russell Wilson trade the worst trade in NFL history? Um, 
how how do the Broncos fix this situation that they find themselves in, given Russ's contract? And uh, finally, how happy are John Schneider and Pete Carroll? Well, let's start first. I think John Schneider and Pete Carroll knew a lot more than we all did uh, in terms of Geno Smith. Give him credit for that. I think a lot of us saw that Russell wasn't the same player. He rushed for 183 yards last year. He wasn't the same guy. didn't have the same quickness or explosiveness. So is it the worst trade? In my new book, Football Done Right, which will come out in August, I break down a whole chapter on trades. And one of the trades I talk about is the John Hadle trade, which was hilarious how that was made by the Packers and Dan Devine and out of desperation. But the one thing about that trade as it relates to this one is as bad as any trade was before that trade, the Herschel Walker deal, the John Hadle deal, all those deals, they didn't have the, they didn't have a contract attached to it. This has a contract attached to it that's that you can't get out of. So this was, unfortunately for your Broncos, this was the, the triple header of bad. You didn't pick the right coach. You didn't pick the right quarterback. And then you paid the wrong quarterback. I mean, that's a trifecta. You know, whereas if in those other trades, you could get out of them, even though you lost draft picks, you didn't lose cap room because there was no cap. This is going to have lingering effect. I don't know what the answer is if I'm Denver. I really don't. I think the challenge that the new ownership has to figure out is what is the problem? What is the vortex of the problem? What is it? Is it Russell's personality? Is his lack of conditioning? Is it Nathaniel Hackett? What is it? And I don't think really any of us know. I'm not sure they know in Denver. You know, it's easy to say Russell's not playing very well. That's easy. My wife can see that. You know, it's easy to say that they're really bad offensively. You know, I mean – I don't know how many more games you need to watch on the Broncos where I don't know if they could score. If they played college football rules and put the ball to 25 on every single drive, like overtime in college football, I don't know if the Broncos would score 20 points. I really don't, you know, I I don't know if they would. So I think it's going to take some time to figure out what the real issue is. But to me, uh, Russell's personality, his inability to relate to his teammates, his inability to believe who he is as a player is going to be the hardest thing to overcome. Michael, we have a term in Ireland for people who fool people. Uh, we call them the spoofer, the spoofers. And uh, Chargers fans uh, get very agitated on this show when I call Brandon Staley a spoofer because this team had so much expectation going into the season. Um, I didn't fall for it. I said they wouldn't even make the playoffs in their preseason predictions. What have you made of this season? It's been so up and down, inconsistent. They win in Arizona in the manner in which they did, going for the two points today and obviously lay another egg and lose again at the weekend. There's no consistency with this team. Is he on the hot seat come, come the end of the season if they don't make the playoffs? Bearing in mind what was expected of this team going into the season. You know, I don't know because the Spanos family always does things a little differently. They're not hot-tempered. and you know. But here, let's just put this out there, right? So when you hire a guy who specializes in one area of the football, of the game, Nathaniel Hackett's supposed to be a really good offensive coach, and their offense isn't good, that's a really big red light, right? That that bothers you. You know, you could say the Raiders stink, but their offense is pretty good because Josh McDaniels runs their offense. I mean, their offense is good. So you could say they stink and he's not a good head coach. I get all that. You, you, can, you can have that argument. You can't really say they're not good enough. You can't say Dennis Allen's defense didn't play good enough last night. You know, he coaches defense. What you can say is Brendan Stanley in two years hasn't improved the Charger defense at all. You can say that, you know, I mean, last year, they're 20, they're 29th in points allowed this year, they're 30th. Last year, they were 23rd in yards this year, they're 26th. 
Last year, they were 22nd in, in third down. This year, they're 25th. Last year, they were 26th in red zone, always improved them to seven. So you could say that's one area of them, but they haven't. They don't stop anybody. They can't play defense. And that's got to be a concern because if you could, if he could fix the defense with this offense, the way they can move the football, assuming they get Mike Williams back and they get you know, and Eckler and all those guys stay healthy, they're really good. Herbert's great. Herbert's great. I mean, for all these people that wanted to bet Tua for MVP, put Tua on Miami's team. What do you think that would look like? Put Tua, put Herbert on Miami's team. Flip him. Put Herbert, put Herbert in Miami and put Tua in, 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 in Los Angeles. What's that going to look like? You know? And so I, I think to me, I don't know if he's on the hot seat or not, but I know this, his defense hasn't improved. And as an executive, that's all I'm looking for. Like, your strength is coaching defense. Why do we suck on defense? Yeah, J- Justin Herbert always has our vote for the prettiest deep ball in the NFL, but all of his balls, or you know, he's just he's an amazing quarterback. He's an amazing quarterback. Incredible. I mean, he's—it's not even close. You know, I said on the, my show, the Lombardi Line, and I said on the podcast, all these people betting Tua for MVP. I mean, that was the greatest scam known to mankind. I mean, you're better off giving your money to St. Jude's, our hospital for children in Memphis. I mean, it was a like there was like the best player on that team's Tyreek Hill. He makes everybody else better. It wasn't Tua. I mean, Tua's a very accurate thrower. He does some nice things, but MVP of the league, the best player in the National Football League, please. Well, well, Michael, I don't know if you called Jimmy G's press conference before the Miami-San Fran game, and he acknowledged that he had been approached by Miami during the offseason inquiring about his availability. Of course. Um, I mean, you know, they, they can keep saying how great Tua is, but the one thing is when you're trained to look at things from not a fan's perspective, fans see completions, right? Executives see – What's this going to look like in Buffalo when he's throwing those when he's throwing those pop ups up there? Like, like good, you know, like if you if he's got to go on any cold weather game somewhere in the Northeast with wind, how do you think that's? I mean, last year he went into Tennessee and it started to rain and the whole thing fell apart. I mean, like, like come on, like it, it, there's we have this media campaign. I mean, we still have the worldwide leaders still talking about it. I mean, it, it's remarkable. You know, there's a narrative and people won't get off of it. I acknowledge to have played better this year, especially against four of the worst defenses in all of football. However, that being said, until he can do it against a good team, I'm not buying it. Well, well, I mean, Michael, just to dwell on that, you're talking about Brandon Staley. He hasn't improved that defense. Tua hasn't necessarily improved. Just to throw out to you a couple of teams that have improved and just your thoughts on it. The Falcons, we all thought, look at that roster. They're hopeless. They've got a lot out of Marcus Mariota. Um, Arthur Smith seems to have done a great job uh, with a limited roster. The Bears, you know, they've suddenly adapted their playbook to suit Justin Fields, and it's made a material difference. And the Lions, Dan Campbell is getting momentum. He, you know, the rehabilitation of Jared Goff is almost what this season should be called there. Um, out of those three, and maybe any others you want to throw in, like who do you think has done the best job with the least effectively? I think it's Arthur Arthur Smith, without a doubt. I mean, for him to be as competitive and be in these games as he's been in, it's remarkable. You know, he's got no quarterback that can – he's limited in terms of what he can do in the passing game. His offensive line struggles to pass protect if it becomes a drop-back game. His defense is bad. I mean, it's bad with a capital B. And yet they find a way to run the ball against everybody, run the ball against Washington, which is hard to run the ball on. You know, and, and they've been in every single game. So I, I, I thought they would win four games at the most. And Arthur's and he's got them competing for the 
the the South. I mean, it was remarkable. So uh, I think he's done a great job. I, I really think he's been really good in terms of getting a lot out of his team and, and, and improving where they are. Um, I'm trying to think who else has been, you know, who else has been really good. Uh, I mean, look, Brian Dable's done a good job with the Giants. I mean, there's a formula that they've utilized that that works. And when they don't play with that formula, when they play outside of it, it's difficult. Detroit, after the bye week, Detroit's sitting there on the one-yard one line at 10-6 against Dallas. And it falls apart. They turn the ball over. They didn't challenge the play. They turn it over, and they lose that game. And since that game, they've played really well. I mean, they had a chance to beat Buffalo if they managed the clock at the end of the first half and the end of the second half. They really had a chance. I think they're playing better defensively, and their offensive line is – when golf gets protection with the skill players they have, they're pretty good. I, I think there's no doubt. I think Chicago is fully engaged in the six-back offense because Fields has to do it. But here's the issue, and we've seen it every week now. Fields is a good three-quarter three quarter quarterback. When the game becomes a passing game in the fourth quarter, he doesn't make any plays. And so either – and even when he gets the lead, he has a hard time throwing him back in the lead because he's not a drop-back passer. He's a running back playing quarterback. And the longer this goes, the more he's going to get defended in the running game. It's going to be really hard. But I credit Chicago. They went all in on the six-back attack. They didn't try to become a West Coast team. They didn't – you know, they're utilizing his strength as a, as a thrower and a drop-backer. And they, gotta, they have to borrow the Philadelphia Eagle model and say, look, we're going to get really good around this quarterback. We're going to build our offensive and defensive lines. I mean, the strength of Philadelphia's teams are offensive line. I mean, it allows Hurts to be Hurts. And so if you do that, they got a better chance. And then you can't give up on fields because who are you going to replace them with? You know, you got to keep going down this road. But I would say those would be the ones that, off the top of my head. Michael, a final one from, from me, but I'm interested in the – the Cowboys, right? Last year ended in disappointment on that final play that we all watched it play out. Then the offseason um, and, and over the summer, it, it didn't feel like they had done a lot. And there were a lot of questions about the Cowboys. And then Dak gets injured. There's the whole Zeke Pollard question. But the Cowboys over the, the past few weeks, I mean, to say they have dominated their opponents um, would almost be putting it mildly. Are, are the Cowboys for real? You know, I, I don't even think they played their best game against uh, Indianapolis and scored 50, what, 52 on them? I mean, it was – so I'm not sure they're – I mean, they'll play Philly well. They have speed defensively to play Philly. You know, that's going to be really critical. you got to be able to cover Philly a little bit, and you got to have speed in your secondary – got to have speed on your front seven. But they, they can't turn – that can't play the way he did against the Colts early in the game. You can't turn the ball over. But they can run the ball. The offensive line starting to come along pretty well. Tyler Smith's done a really good job at left tackle. They kick him into guard when Trayvon Smith comes back. Yeah, I think they are. This whole notion that they're going to sign Odell and Odell's going to make him better. I mean, look, do we even know if Odell's healthy? I mean, Jerry Jones said today that, you know, that he has no idea about the health of they, – they, they can't pay Odell until they see him work out, and he doesn't want to work out. Michael, do you mind if I just throw up a couple of comments from the audience before we, we wrap up? Just sure. uh, um, an interesting one here. From Owen Healy, um, suggesting uh, Sean Payton, uh, maybe in the conversation with the Chargers, if they were to move away, Sean Payton may inevitably come back into the league next year. It's it's kind of the hot take that he will come back at some stage. Yeah, I mean, look, they still would owe the Saints compensation. 
because his contract is still owned by the Saints. You can't just retire from the NFL. It's kind of like being in the mafia. You're kind of in for good, you know, and you just can't walk away. Uh, and, or unless you, you got to pay your way out of it, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that would be – look, there's going to be a line from here to Dublin to try to get that charger job, the coach Justin to Herbert. I mean, that's, that's the – that is – in the movie Home Alone, that's the silver tuna, right? That's the one they got to get to. It's because he's great. And rarely does jobs open in the NFL with an elite quarterback. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Elite quarterbacks save coaches' jobs. LaFleur, Rodgers, right? That's what makes them. When when an elite quarterback is, you know, when there's a job open, it's usually you need a quarterback, not you have one. Um, one more. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, who's – from Fred, he's asking who's going to make the Super Bowl at this stage. You know, I, I mean, I think I I think I would have said it's I, to me. I think it's Philly's going to be hard to beat. So I would say Philly and probably Kansas City. You know, I think Mahomes is going to be hard to beat twice, but I like Kansas City and Buffalo both. But I, I think Philly and Buffalo, Philly and Kansas City would be my my picks there. Um, Michael, I think one time we were talking to you, the Many Saints of Newark was just about to come out and you were very yeah. excited about it. So getting a bit of the mafioso references, the quarterbacks being made men, I imagine, as well, is is always great to hear. Yeah, it was so disappointing. The, the Many Saints of Newark were like going to your high school reunion. You, you knew everybody's name. You just didn't recognize anybody. Like it was like a bad high school reunion. It was embarrassing. I, I feel I was so excited to see it. And you know, it let me down, but I'm sure we'll find something else to watch here. Well, absolutely. And um, you mentioned, obviously, you have a new book coming out and just to maybe give us a little bit of a snippet or a bit of an insight yeah. as to that. So and when the it's next coming book out. is called Football Done Right. It's, it's uh, the manuscript is finished. It's a book about, I start off the book talking about the coaching trees in the NFL, the five, what I call the five, uh, coaching trees that really everybody kind of has come from one way or the other, the white Oaks. And then I rate the top 10 coaches in NFL history. And then I talk about the trades, all the great trades that have happened. And then I talk about the NFL draft. And then I talk about television's impact on the game. And then I grade the top 100 players the way I see it and try to tell a story a little bit different about the top 100 players you know, trying to get somewhere to connect it to uh, more than just Barry Sanders has great quickness. I mean, we've all read that before. So try to shed different light on each player. And Michael, when is it out? Any chance we can put it in the yeah, chat? August, August of 23. Okay. August of 23. So next Hall of Fame weekend, it'll be out. And, just, and, and just about to say. Everybody will everybody will complain about my top 10, my top 20. Everybody will say how dumb I am. That's what makes good conversation. Absolutely. Just in time for the Hall of Fame game, as you say, in Canton. Yeah. So that's perfect, perfect timing. Michael, we really appreciate your time. As always, uh, as I said before, Michael, you find on the GM Shuffle, founder of the Daily Coach as well, and on the, uh, other – the podcast Lombardi line as well, did you say, Mike? Yeah, the Beeson on Beeson. You can catch us on YouTube, the Lombardi line from 12 Eastern to 2 o'clock. We, Patrick Maher and I, we talk about the NFL. I do it six days a week. Patrick's with me five days a week. Weekends, we go from 10 to 12. Brilliant. Maher and Lombardi. Yeah, it's all football. We don't talk about, uh, we, we don't talk about anything else but football. 
uh, or you know, we just talk about during this time we talk about, we have to talk a little bit about college coming up, about college basketball, but it's all mostly all football. Well, we've got a college football game for you coming up over here, Notre Dame Navy as well. So, you know, that, that'll yeah. be next August as well. We, we I can't can... wait for that. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Hopefully Notre Dame will agree for that game. I think they'll be lynched if they don't, frankly. So, <laughs> Michael, thank you ever so much thank for your time and joining us on the special thank show. You guys, really appreciate, appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Cheers. So, gents, um, before we wrap up, um, great as always to have Michael Lombardi on the show. Anything else? I mean, Monday night it was a good game as well between the the Saints and the Bucks. Tom Brady breaking some more records with a defense that's with an offense that still can't get over twenty points. Colin, you probably have thoughts on that. Yeah, breaking more tablets, breaking more of his uh, vocal cords. But as I have said repeatedly, Mark, it's Tom Brady's universe. And we're all just uh, living in it. He he wants to. I like. I really think this is the last rodeo. Um, but he obviously wants to get to the dance one more time because you never know what might what might happen. Um, but the biggest obstacle to him getting back to to the dance might be Todd Bowles. It's funny, uh, Colm suggesting the dance with me when we're referring to the playoffs. I, I text a Bucks fan today saying. You must have been relieved and overjoyed to get the win, bearing in mind for so long it looked like the game was gone. And he said, come on, Brian, we're going to play. It's already locked in. We're going to play the Cowboys in the World Card game and we're going to get absolutely blown, blown out, blown the doors off. So I said, you never know, come January, these things have a way of changing. Their defense played really well last night. The defense played really well in Dallas in week one. All you need to do is give Brady an opportunity at the end. The Saints are kicking themselves. I mean, that Taysom Hill drop at the end when it looked like he had it he's going to be having nightmares about that play and then obviously the ingram going out play as well there was plays again unfortunately for the saints you know again another game which the saints will reflect on as again they really should have won but for brady big win bit of a gap now on the division whether they're in a difficult uh record compared to other teams or not they still have a gap in that division looks like inevitably they will win that division now We'll get back to the age-old debate about should a team with that record have their um, home advantage, but there's got to be some prize for winning your division uh, regardless of it. Actually, Tom Brady's never lost to the Cowboys ever in his career, so that's an interesting statistic should they match up in the playoffs. I'm sure Cowboys fans will be uh, delighted if that would be overturned if they match up in the playoffs. And also, just before we um, we bring things to it, and then um, you mentioned the Robinson and the uh, Baker Mayfield uh, comments, obviously the impact of that, and Mike Lombardi just gave us his thoughts there. Anything else you guys have in relation to it or anything else that uh, strikes you in particular about the, the Mayfield news in particular? Robinson is a bit... Oh, Owen Farrell dropping in. Wait till Bowser gets his hand on Brady next week. Winning. Yeah, he... Uh, he might not survive that. Actually, Brock Purdy came out with a line on that, Owen. He said, uh, he's been playing football before I was born. Isn't that cool? It's like, yeah, he really is that old and you really are that young man. So that's, that's a good one. Um, but Colm, anything else on Baker? I mean, the Rams were a strange uh, landing point and my initial reaction was just a bit like Michael Lombardi's there. It's like, well, how committed or how much belief do they have in Matt Stafford's recovery there? Um, if Sean McVay is maybe bringing in Baker to test the training wheels there? Well, I think 
Mark, once you're talking about neck injuries, you never know. Um, so it could just be a bit of an insurance policy. And um, as Brian has pointed out, you know, they, they lack uh, picks. So to bring him in and maybe as, as you find out what exactly is going on with, with Stafford. I mean, to be honest, the um, as we mentioned on Monday show, for me, um, uh, um the biggest question for the, for the Rams is going to be, is Sean McVay back next year? Is Aaron Donald back ne- next year? Um, you know, they, there was talk on both of those about potential retirement. I always got the impression um, with Donald, it was more about, you know, um, leverage to, to get a contract. Uh, a bit like players get linked with, uh, you know, Bayern Munich or, or somebody uh, in the, the Premier League. But McVeigh, you know, those those talks about him retiring and going off to the world of TV analysis came out pretty quickly after the Super Bowl. So it, it could be it, it could be that, you know, he he's decided this this year that he really wa- he doesn't want to go out like this and he is going to be re-energized. But that is certainly going to be a, a talking point, I think, in the offseason. Um, Mark, we've had actually a lot of a lot of engagement, a lot of comments come in from uh, the audience and like, the community, as, as Colin likes to call it. And um, for, you know, we weren't in a position to put a lot of the comments up during the live show, but uh, you know, we are aware that they've come in. So we just want to thank everybody again. And um, obviously, when we're doing the live shows on Monday, and Thursday, it's always our, our aim to get as much out as possible. So we did manage to get a couple of comments into to Michael and Party, but again, just to call out, it is appreciated from the three of us, everybody getting involved and putting their comments in. So that's the final wrap for me, Mark. Beautiful, Brian, and beautifully said. Beautifully said. Um, And and that's right, we will... I turned on the lights tonight. There was a few few comments around the fact I didn't have my lights on there last week, so they're back on for everybody to be all pleased. The interior decorating, uh, interior decorating des- uh, design and uh, help is is always appreciated as well. I'm, I know. Um, thank you, and thank you as well to our sponsors. As always, we're brought to you in association with Casty Travel. We've also had a a partnership this year with PointsBet, uh, which is a sports betting company, but it's more about the technology that's available in Dublin technology jobs that are available. And we're featuring them on our Thursday night show with an interview from their director of quantitative and analytics. So after the the normal Thursday preview, as a special interview with Christoph Pink of PointsBet, really interesting uh, and fascinating insights into that whole world. So thanks to PointsBet as well. With that, however, uh, you will be able to find all of this on the podcast as well as on YouTube and Twitter. Thursday night show will be up on podcasts in different segments, uh, late Thursday, early Friday. Uh, Thank you all, as Brian just said, for joining us and look forward to seeing you all again on Thursday when I'll be replaced with a far more smoother, half Swedish, half Irish, charismatic uh, presenter in Calais who's joined the team. Um, Thanks again, everybody, and talk to you soon. See you, lads.